I just keep picturing Jesus trying to sit on a donkey and a colt at the same time. <laughs> Hi, friends. This is Under God. I'm Jackie Newsom. And I'm Isaiah Lewis. And we're two outsiders who are coming together to question the text and build community together. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Happy Lenten season, COVID-19 style. I'm still going to put this disclaimer out there. This podcast does not represent the views of my employer. I would like to continue to have a job when this is all over. Uh, Isaiah, I am super excited about this text today. One, because I am just a churchy Baptist child and Palm Sunday is super exciting, even though I feel like what I'm going to have to say about this text is going to damper that mood or put me in check. But still, I'm very excited about this scripture and this recording, like super excited. That's interesting. I want to hear more about that. Well, just because the commentaries that I read when they were like, "Mm, y'all need to chill all this celebration. You missing a point. I was like, yikes. You know, I guess the good news is we get to talk to each other about it. That's true. So the way that this podcast works, we um, are doing something called Lectio Divina, which just means a sacred reading. So we use the lectionary, which is a way that churches decide what scriptures to read each week. There are four choices. Jackie picks one, and then the next week I pick one. Um, so we present you with uh, the one that we want to talk about. We read it. Then we give some time for to think about words and phrases that stand out to us. And we invite you to also think about words and phrases that stand out to you. We give a little bit of context to kind of set up what's going on. Then we read it again. So that part's not going to be in there, but we recommend that you also read it again because it really makes a difference about how you approach it. And then we're going to discuss and talk about places in the text that really interest us or that we have questions about and how we see that kind of stuff relating to our lives today. And then we end with a benediction in which Jackie and I kind of combine our home church traditions into a blessing to send you on your way. In this case, it'll be sending you on your way to your house. Every time we record, like at the end of each recording, we pick what we're going to record next time, like what scripture we're going to pick. And I feel like, Isaiah, I don't know. I wonder if this is captured. But you were basically like, we, yeah, we just have to do this one. Like, there's no, yeah. I mean, we just have to do the scripture. Like, (laughs) like your attitude was like, nah, there's, there's no other scripture that we can do out of these (laughs) than this one. Yeah. Like, it was like, "Mm, yeah, no, it's just got to be this one. (laughs) I mean, it's Palm Sunday. Like, it would be super weird if I was like, and now from the word from Joel or whatever. <laughs> like, nobody cares about Joel. It's Palm Sunday. Word. No, I agree. It was just so funny. You're like, uh-uh, we're yeah. not even going to play this game. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't even Joel. There were two options. One was a psalm that yes. was talking about palm branches, and the other one was Matthew talking about palm branches. So, like, really, the psalm is like, I think you're lost. Go back to Matthew. <laughs> like yeah we only had two choices for this week because we take we typically have four but really they were like we can't even give you this is like uh who wants to be a millionaire 50 50 (laughs) yeah or like google like rerouting like (laughs) google maps back to matthew (laughs) word okay you're gonna read the scripture for us i would love to let's get it so we are in the gospel of matthew 
chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, using the CEB, the Common English Bible. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus gave two disciples a task. He said to them, Go into the village over there. As soon as you enter, you will find a donkey tied up and a colt with it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anybody says anything to you, say that the Lord needs it. He sent them off right away. Now this happened to fulfill what the prophet said. Say to daughter Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and riding on a donkey, and on a colt the donkey's offspring. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had ordered them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them. Then he sat on them. Now a large crowd spread out their clothes on the road. Others cut palm branches off the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds in front of him and behind him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. Who is this? they asked. The crowds answered, It's the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So now we're just going to take a moment to think about words and phrases that stand out to us. The Mount of Olives, Two Disciples, if anyone says anything to you. Hmm. The donkey and the colt. The prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. I know that this is not the most important thing here, but I just keep picturing Jesus trying to sit on a donkey and a colt at the same time. <laughs> and like, that is not a regal look. You're onto something there. I think we should come back to it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that that's a, like a deep theological reflection. It just seems awkward. I think it is, or at least I read something that makes me feel like it is. Okay, cool. We can we can make that into something. Okay. Simultaneously, I I can imagine being a disciple, and being like, uh, okay, I guess I'm gonna steal these animals, and then also being the person who gets the animals stolen, and having somebody be like, it's all right. Uh, the guy who sent me wants them. As though that makes sense as like a reason that it's okay. Like, I mean, <laughs> like, don't worry about it. The Lord wants them. Which Lord? Right. Just gonna right. take them. It'll be fine. Shh. <laughs> don't worry about it. Whose daughter Zion? Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. Hmm. So are we at context time? Do you want to? We're for sure at context time. Okay. You want to you wanna break it down? Well, so I feel like I did a lot of reading my notes from school and then the Hermeneia. I think we've talked about this before when we've talked about Matthew, but we have to care about what's at stake for the author of this text. And we have to remember that this isn't a documentary and this isn't being written down as it's happening. And that this narrative in some way shape or form shows up in all of the gospels matthew mark luke and john nice so we know that or i guess 
experts claim that Mark was actually the, the starting point text and that Matthew borrowed from Mark, but reordered in important ways and added different things throughout the whole chapter 21. I mean, throughout the whole book, but like specifically throughout all of 21, but including this portion. Um, and that Matthew's goal is to show the disciples as instead of like sort of buffoons or like silly people to show them as a bit more obedient. Matthew's goal is to show Jesus as humble and righteous as, as well as showing Jesus as Messiah. There's a certain point that the author of this book is trying to get across about who Jesus is and about who we are to be in order to be followers of Christ. And so that informs the differences between this text and the other three gospels that mention this occurrence. And so I think that contextual bit is really important because that will speak to why there's a donkey and a cult. That'll speak to more specific things like in the other translations, the donkey could potentially be translated as a horse, but it's really important here, the specificity that that's not possible. And I think that the author is trying to get at something really important about who Jesus is. Jesus is really this humble person who is coming in on a donkey. Like there's no way we can confuse this as some sort of honorable, like you said, regal entry, because there's a donkey. And the way we really know that there's a donkey and not a horse is because this cult part is added in. Um, and you're right, it's unclear if, and I think intentionally unclear on the part of the author of, of this book, if Jesus is writing them both or not. And, one leg over one and one right. leg over the other. It's just, yeah. But the point is the sort of humility in the entry because this traditional type of entry into a city is supposed to be really honorable. And it's the goal is just to show how humble he comes in. Um, and that's a really, really important part of how we should understand this text and think about really the, the lack of like prestigious celebration that's supposed to come that Matthew, the author of Matthew, is trying to get forward. It's not about like the prestige and about Jesus being royalty. It's about Jesus coming to do that, which he's called to do. Awesome. So something else that if you have your Bibles. Come on. Um, <laughs> one of the things you'll probably see is that there are kind of a lot of footnotes in this one little section that are directing you to other pieces of scripture that are in the Old Testament. And so you might see some italics and some quotation marks around phrases. So when it says, in verse 4, it says, to, now this happened to fulfill what the prophet said. And then it gives a quote that's coming from Zechariah. And it's also giving a reference to Isaiah. The reason why Matthew is before Mark in the Gospels, even though Mark came first chronologically, it was written first, Matthew in addition to being very concerned uh, with showing righteousness, Matthew is also really concerned with showing the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the Gospel of Matthew really wants to show Jesus as the fulfillment of the scriptures and the fulfillment of the prophecies. Like part of how we know that Jesus is the Messiah is, is because he is fulfilling all of these things that were said about what the Messiah was going to say and do. And so this is really heavy on 
almost proof texting, no, really, Jesus is legit. These things are happening because these previous prophets said that they would happen. And I think that's really interesting to realize that in some ways, this is a very information dense story. Like, there are a lot of references, a lot of symbols that the people listening to the story would probably pick up on that sometimes it can be easy to miss because they aren't the stories that we're as familiar with. As soon as you started talking, I was like, thank God he's going to bring that up. Like this author is, I shouldn't say obsessed, that's dramatic, but is really into, that's probably another reason why the cult is brought up, is like really into being consistent with the Torah, right? And like, and like making sure that this lines up. Mm -hmm. And so there was a, I was reading the Hermeneia and I was like, dang, that was petty. But the author, whoever was writing that commentary was like, yeah, the author of Matthew's not really interested in like making sense. Like he doesn't really have a vision of how this cult donkey thing works. He just is trying to like be consistent with the prior text. <laughs> but it was like written in such a harsh way. And I was like, geez. Aww. It's just really important because I, I feel like what my New Testament professor told us about Matthew is that you have to be careful with reading this text and you have to be thoughtful about nuances. Otherwise, you'll teeter into bad theology. And I think here, what, what I feel like I learned based on my research for this recording was that the, potentially the teetering into bad theology here is to over-celebrate or to read this as some sort of royal entry when really the point that the author is trying to make is that this was a humble entry. Um, well, I'm just thinking like this, you know, this is the gate that you, like we refer to this as the triumphal entry sometimes. And like you're saying, it's not <laughs> like it isn't. But at the same time, like Jesus knows what he's doing. Like if we read Matthew at face value and imagine this as playing out in this way, like you end up with this sort of comic scene. Like, can you imagine a peasant just being like, yeah, I'm going to go through this gate. Like I'm the king, you know, like it's me. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I stole this donkey to get here. Like it's not even his donkey, right? Like he I object to the language of stealing, but you do are you is he commandeering it is it eminent domain because all things are his under <laughs> like all, all things are given to him through the father i'm not sure i'm not sure if is there a mens rea requirement like was there an intent there i don't i, I feel like i should look up the law on does it really fit <laughs> Donkey stealing? Face right now he was just going to use it for the minute. He was going to give it right back. He was giving it back. <laughs> okay. They asked permission. The people gave it to him. I mean, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't believe you. It doesn't say they said yes. It doesn't it, say they said no. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. This is, this is why you're a public defender. Like, is this, is this theft unlawful taking? Is this, like, is this a theft crime? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up. Continue to talk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to come to Jesus' defense on this one. All right. You do that. Books that it's referring back to. Like, Zechariah, there's this one reference to, you know, the king coming in humbly. But then after that, it ramps back up into 
a super macho warrior god who's like destroying everything in sight in the vindication of Jerusalem. So Jesus is subverting even that. It's theater. Like it's, we call it like a, a sign act or like it's this, everything that's happening in this moment has so many reference to other places that he's not just doing it and that i think we were talking about this at some time before when we were talking about matthew and the people's expectation of what the messiah or what the savior was going to look like was this sort of violent prestigious glorious takeover and sort of redemption of what had been lost right what the people of israel had lost and so i think again when we talk about the context of matthew the author of matthew is trying to show the reader, hearer, listener, you know, whatever, both at the time that this information was being consumed, but now that that, that, that wasn't true, that this idea of the son of David and this sort of um, military strength that people thought was going to be coming in, that people thought was the Old Testament promise, if you will, was not going to be how this was made manifest, was not going to be how, how the kingdom was going to come, if you will. Yeah. And and that's just so interesting because, like, people are not reading it wrong, you know? Like, if you refer to something and you're like, remember, remember this symbol, then it makes sense that they're going to assume that the consequence of whatever you're going to do next is going to refer back to that symbol. And so it's just really interesting that that's not what Jesus does. Like, if you if you reference Zechariah, like, that's how Zechariah goes. And how disappointing to jump ahead. How disappointing to find out, oh, this is not going to go down how we thought it was. This is not about revolution. Like we not taking up arms. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute. How are we getting our stuff back? We've been waiting generations upon generations upon generations. You talking about you the one sent by God and here you are like playing nice. Yeah. At least. In, trying to be all humble. Anybody got time? Like, I can totally see how that's infuriating. I feel like I get that a lot from my clients. They want to see me be more of like flipping over the tables, Jesus, which, which comes almost immediately after this passage. Yeah. Um, and when I come in there talking about, well, judge, you know, they're like, what, what is this? Mm -hmm. I'm mad. The police beat me up and you over here whispering. What are you doing? Now, if we, if we win at the end of the day, right, or if then maybe they'll feel better. But like, yeah, there's a whole lot of, there's a whole lot of theater I feel like necessary or built into dealing with oppression and working with oppressed folks. Yeah. How do you read this then? The whole Lenten season is my jam, right? Because to me, this is the most important aspect of my faith, if you will. So when you read this text as much as I have, it's very easy to not pay attention to details. And it's very easy to be like, okay, like, this is kind of boring. We get it. Jesus gets to Jerusalem and then all hell breaks loose and things go downhill. You know, so I was really looking for a way to make this text valuable to me. One thing I wanted to add was that this notion of Hosanna, um, and I'm going to pull up the Hermeneia, Hosanna to the son of David in the Hebrew would be understood, like Hosanna would be understood as please help. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really interesting because we're reading it and that just goes to, to the point of sort of what I, how I understand this text and what I gained is like, we read it as celebration, right? We read it as cheering you on. 
when really this is like, oh, you coming in, help us, wait, we need, we need some support, we need some help. Are you who you say you are? Come help us. And so that, for me, changes the lens of what we're looking at. What we're looking at potentially is a group of people who have heard about Jesus or have been following Jesus, unsure if he is, right, when we look at verse 11, unsure if he is simply the prophet from Nazareth or actually the Messiah, but regardless, is excited to see him in Jerusalem coming in, potentially going to help them change their circumstances and their situations. Mm -hmm. This is no longer about a parade. It's more about aid. So I'm thinking less about um, some sort of sports victory where the team comes home and everybody's cheering on the street. What do they call it? A ticker tape parade? This is not that. This is instead FEMA in New Orleans. Mm. And that is a very sobering way to think of something that we often like celebrate and cheer about. But I think it's more appropriate because it, it gets us closer to the attitude we should have at least going into Jesus Good Friday, Jesus on the cross, right? It's important to me in this episode, in light of what's happening in the world and in light of COVID-19 and in light of the fact that people may not be able to celebrate the resurrection the way they want to, it's important for me to continue to jump ahead. I, along with other clergy people, often sort of admonish people or scold people for spending all of the Lenten season talking about the resurrection, right? We're not there yet, jumping ahead, but it's so important that we celebrate the resurrection at every turn because now we're in a place where we may not be able to celebrate it the way we want to. So I want to celebrate it now, right? And I want to acknowledge that Palm Sunday is not the point of celebration, the resurrection is. This is the point of recognizing that help is needed, help is on the way, but it gets a little worse before it gets better. Yeah, it gets a whole lot worse before it gets better. You're right, you're, you're right. Like... I was trying to be gentle, but you're right. <laughs> you're right. And after this portion of scripture, we see Jesus still doing miracles, right? We see Jesus, um, we see a lot of par- parables. We see the temple cleansing. I mean, there's a lot of action that happens immediately after this. But in this moment, this is a solemn moment. This is not the celebration we often make it into. And I think the reason why we want it to be a, a celebration is because we are, we are excited because we know what's coming, right? And we deserve to be excited. And I don't want to take that away from anyone. We deserve to be excited because we know the resurrection is upon us, right? We know when we get to Palm Sunday, we're getting close. And this text should really call us to reflect on more of what we talked about, about the Lenten season, our humanity, our fragility, our need for help, our need for aid, our need for community, our need for support, our desire for leadership, for hope. I mean, these people, the text tells us again in verse 11, like they're not sure who Jesus really is. But they're hoping. Yeah. And they're asking for help. And they're willing to see him even they're willing to see him as if he is in, on this horse, potentially, right? They're willing, they're willing to, to turn a blind eye to the donkey situation, right? To the awkwardness of how he's coming in. Because they need this promise fulfilled. Because they're in bad shape. And they're tired of being in bad shape. What do you think this says right now? Like, I mean, we are, everybody who has the ability to is quarantining themselves right now. 
or not quarantining so what are we saying sheltering in place i don't know my folks aren't able to do that your folks are in jail i don't know that this text is immediately related to any of that i think it very obviously speaks to us in the linton season but to me it's imp- i think to us it's important that scripture is not just about business as usual right And so it's like, how is this giving us a fresh word today in light of what's happening? And perhaps it's the good news is just a reminder that like shit wasn't sweet then and it's not sweet now. That's something I've been thinking about a lot. I've been thinking a lot about plagues, as I think probably a lot of people have been and feeling very much like, okay, where are you, God? Like, show up. Like, a lot of people I love are in one of the worst possible situations just generally, but also like right now is not a great time to catch a disease that very few people have access to recovering from. Well, if we're your chosen people, like how are you going to protect us? Is all of this just like a clever ruse, like, or a story that we tell ourselves in order to get through hard stuff? Let's go there. How is this not caused by God? Because there's a lot of theology out there that's saying that God is doing this and God is punishing us. Or the earth is punishing us, like that we are the virus and the earth is rejecting us. To me, the part that comes immediately after that, which is your question of like, all right, God, even if I'm willing to engage that you didn't cause this, that you're not trying to punish us, what what are you doing? And you know, for me, when things aren't, aren't great, God automatically becomes male. <laughs> so it's like, look, bro, whoa, what are we doing right now, brother? Like, what is this? I mean, but let's talk about it. Because I think the last time we recorded, uh, we, you know, we at the end were like, yeah, and that's bad theology. And that was it. But like, there's a lot of people with a lot of important platforms talking about Jesus is mad at us. People very close to me are engaging this narrative of like, Jesus is doing this to me. Jesus is not doing this to you. I, I feel like I want to apologize to people for having to consume that bad theology for so long, myself included. And we've talked about how, you know, we fight against that in our own minds, but it's like, my God is, is, my God is not that petty. My God is not that cold, that heartless, that destructive. My my God may talk a lot of smack, but when (laughs) we look at my God's actions, they're always redemptive. They're always merciful. They're always graceful. They're always with a desire and an eye for relationship and care. And so this behavior, air quotes, is really inconsistent with my God, at least. Fix it, Isaiah. I don't know how. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think God did it, right? I don't think God made this virus. I don't think God is spreading the virus. I don't think God is punishing you. I don't think that your kids aren't in school or it's hard to pay the bills or you're worried that your your grandma's going to die. Like, I don't think God's doing that to your grandma or to you or to your kids. I don't think God's doing that to me. Like, I'm also stressed out right now. Everybody is freaking out right now because something really bad is happening and we can't control it. And that's terrifying. You couldn't plan for this. No. Like, you can wash your hands compulsively. But, um, like, even even beyond, like, when we talk about fiscal responsibility, which this, I think we can agree, the failings of capitalism are being exposed right now. But, like, even if we talk about fiscal responsibility, 
six months ago, there's no reason why I would have thought my savings plan would have needed to be different. You know what I mean? Based on like some sort of environmental plague or like virus. You know what I mean? Like there's just no, there was no indication that I needed to like save differently or maybe have been buying an extra thing of toilet paper every time I went to the store. Right. Unless you are somebody who is assuming that the apocalypse is coming in with a quickness and are intending to avoid dying in said apocalypse, there are not a ton of people who are ready for this. And that's scary and hard. One of the things that that I was reflecting on in a in a previous episode was like that the Bible was written by the losers to a certain extent. I mean, the most literate among the losers. So there's still an element of privilege involved in being able to read and write. But like as a as a people group, they were not doing well basically ever. And so like I guess to some extent that gives me comfort. Like because if they still believed and worshipped and everything was always trash, then we can make it? Or like what? Well, that God was with them through it, right? That was that God was constantly working for their well being. I don't know. And that's I don't know. Because the place where God is most is is the place where people are suffering the most. And it's not that God is not with people who are not suffering. Like, don't take that as suffer more because God will love you more. That's no, no, don't, please no. Um, like, this is an inconvenient way to be writing a holy scripture. To say that, like, the people who are losing again and again are the people who God loves most feels like a really weird way to do it. And so you know, one of the things that we learned in seminary was like, if there's something really awkward that doesn't make people look good in a, in scripture, that thing is more likely to have happened because people want to write down things that make them look good and not things that make them look bad. That makes me feel like it's more likely to be true because otherwise, like, why would you tell a story for 66 books in which you lose the entire time? Yeah. And be lying about it. Right. So that's a really convoluted answer, but I feel like there's there's got to be some hope in that. I mean, we it's important that we rest in the I don't know. Like, this shit is fucked up, and I don't know, but what I do know is this ain't God. And here's my evidence, you know, of how I know this isn't God. Or, you know, this is fucked up, and God is present, and I, I'm annoyed because I want the God who has Jesus riding in on a horse with a sword on each side just slashing just like mm-hmm. <laughs> right you want paul basically what you want is paul <laughs> pre-conversion that's and what that's, you want and this text teaches us like that's not what this is about you know or that's not how that's not necessarily how this is going to work because i think in many ways the disappointment that we feel that we're putting toward god is disappointment toward humans for not following god you get what i'm saying like the greed the hoarding the lack of universal health care, the lack of everyone having homes and food. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, thank you for for bringing that up. It's not like this is all on God. I mean, I would argue that none of it is on God, right? Like, I don't think that God makes diseases happen to people. I don't think that's right. I think what we're seeing, like you were saying, is a failure of capitalism. Like, for the few people out there who thought that this shit was working, like, they are now in for a rude wake-up call. None of it is working. To be or, clear, capitalism is the problem as to why this is so hard. Yeah, yeah. To deal with. Not, capitalism didn't cause the virus. No, capitalism didn't cause the virus. We don't know what caused the virus. 
capitalism is preventing it from getting under control as fast as it could be. Right. Because people still have to go out. And also, like, in terms of, yeah, people suffering, like, right. not getting the food that they need. And that's empire. And and we, I think if we do anything well on this podcast, it's talking about the ways in which the biblical text and the divine have warned against the dangers of empire. And when we see God getting upset in the Old Testament, especially, we see God getting upset about empire. And we see God getting upset because people aren't being fed and people aren't being clothed and people aren't being taken care of. Right. And when God gets angry pants and starts threatening destruction, it's because people aren't acting right. When we talk about acting right, we're talking about people being more interested in empire than in, than in relationship. I'm very much in a faith without works is dead moment right now, though. Right. My, my theology in the moment is like, God is here and God is trying to get this together. You people <laughs> are messing it up. Like God is here. God is trying to get people out the jail. The DA is blocking the blessing because the public defenders out here working night and day. It's not like we stop working. Well, that's the thing, right? Human freedom. Like God respects human freedom. Boo. Even when it. Boo. Boo. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but that's a big part, place, part of where our theologies diverge, right? Yes. Like Isaiah believes that God respects human freedom. And I'm kind of like, God can snatch you up like somebody's grandmama and make you do right. And I'm just waiting for God to do that. Right. That, that is one of the biggest places where our theologies diverge. And it's just gonna. Yeah. But I think that's, I mean, that's my answer for why this is happening. Like, you know, I think that God is with the DA in the sense that, like, that God loves the DA. But, frankly, I think God is, like, helping you m more. Like, I think that, like, <laughs> you know, like, that God is not just, like, making sympathetic ouch noises whenever we get hurt. Like, I think that God is in it, too, and is working for our healing, for our wholeness, for, you know, for things to be made right. That God isn't just, like hoping that we'll figure it out according to the flashcards that God left us. Like, but at the same time, I think that God has a deep respect for consent and that in order for us to be in an actual relationship with God, we have to be able to say no, even when it screws up everybody else. And I really hate that, but I also think it's true. Like that's the only explanation I can come up with for why things are the way they are it's either that or like god's made up and the people that i care about the most who i respect the most have a very elaborate coping mechanism that i've bought into like those are my options and i go back and forth kind of daily about which one is true for me and you know what i'm fine with the latter because i have same thoughts um at the same frequency and i'm cool with that i'm cool with it being the case that this is something that was invented to make people feel better as long as it's making people feel better and making people do right. Or at least some people like I'm cool with that. Like, why do I believe in God? Because I was taught to and because I have lived experiences that I cannot explain that I'm willing to give credit to a divine being. And for me, because of what I've been exposed to, that divine being is God. What you can't take away from me is the experiences that I've had. Right. Mm -hmm. And the divine encounters 
or what what I would call divine encounters. What I what we cannot explain, right? What science can't wipe away, what you know, some easy explanation can't can't answer, can't provide. That you can't take away. What I've experienced, what I have felt, what I have seen, things that I've seen shift and change, the impossible that I've seen work in my own life. Like that is why I'm here. And I'm totally fine if like I got it wrong or if this was off or this is all a farce. Because what I what I know, right, is what I've lived through and what I've experienced and what I felt and what's changed me and people around me. Mm-hmm. And that's good enough. I think the problem for me is that becomes a very individualistic type of piety and worship and it's not as communal as I would want it to be. Does that make sense? Like I, I believe because of what I've experienced, but I'm not talking about the overturning of cash bail. But I I'm think- talking about seeing, seeing people healed or delivered or, you know, having an experience that I simply can't explain. Well, I think that's the role of testimony, right? Like, and also just that it's a, it's a process that God just doesn't, let me say usually, that for whatever reason, and I don't know why, and plenty of times I'm not fine with it, but for whatever reason, it seems as though God helps us along in a process, that things take a minute, that we have to learn and grow and develop and get there. And so like, hopefully cash bail is going to be ended sooner rather than later it seems like the way that that's going to happen is through a process of people working tirelessly to end cash bail right that god isn't gonna get up in people's brain parts and get them to change their mind all at the same time to make that happen i mean technically maybe that could happen but it seems like most of the time that's not how that goes Mm mm-hmm And one of the things you were talking about some weeks ago, too, was testimony and the role of testimony. And I think that's a big part of it, too. Like, part of how I understand how God works is hearing about how God has worked in your life, which is different from how God has worked in my life. And yeah, technically, it's individual in the sense that, like, the things that happen to you have only happened to you. They're they're particular. They speak into your life. And also, like, we're in relationship. We talk to each other. We might not get all of each other's stories, but like I have a better understanding of who God is because of your testimony. And I hope that like in hearing mine, you have somewhat of a better sense of who God might be too, you know, like our coming together and sharing the stories of particular intimate ways in which God is entering into our lives and saving us become communal when we share them. Yes. Like that. Redeemed it for me. That's a whole word right there. Right? Cool. You're so right. Because you're right. That's why we're supposed to share testimony. Oh, Pastor Tony B. Lynn Ingram is always like, when's the last time you told someone of the goodness of God? And every time she says it, I'd be sitting there like, well, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but like that can mean, you know, giving it its broadest definition that's so real. I feel like you help God along every time you open your mouth about I mean, you in particular, I don't know about everybody, but like you in particular, <laughs> every time I talk with you, I feel like, I feel like you're helping God along, right? Mm. And so I don't know why cash bail hasn't just been ended. There are plenty of things that are real messed up that need to be better immediately and aren't. Mm-hmm. And people have been saying it. It's not like the people in power have been like, oh, I haven't heard. Right. So I don't have an answer for that, but I still... In this hour, 
believe that God continues to work. Amen. Bless them. Bless the people. Oh, people. I don't even know. We got to do it. It's hard right now. And capitalism isn't helping, but we got to do it. In whatever ways you can still go, even if it's in your own mind, go. Live as free people. And keep the faith, baby. Under God was created by Jackie Newsom and Isaiah Lewis. Our music is by Broke for Free. I hate it here. <laughs> In America? Planet Earth. I hate it here. Oh. Let's go to Neptune. <laughs> <laughs>